0: I want to begin tonight by thanking Bethel Church and Brother Ronald for the invitation to come. Brother Ronald said that we've been knowing each other a long time. Uh, Brother Ronald was in my ordination in 1987, and the next Sunday, my first time to preach as an ordained elder was at Bethel Church down on the uh, other street where it used to be. So it's a special place unto me because all the memories that I've had over the years coming up here, and I feel at home every time I come up here now. I've been coming so uh, long and often. I ask to interest in your prayers tonight. In the Bible, there's many chapters that are well-known, even renowned for the content which they have. I can name you a, a book of the Bible and its chapter and you'll know what that chapter's already about, Genesis 1. Everybody knows that's about creation, Psalms 23, about the Lord being our shepherd, Isaiah fifty-three prophetic chapter about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, chapters Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 15, about the lost. You have the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. First Corinthians 13, chapter about charity. Romans 8, I don't even have to tell Primitive Baptist what that chapter is about. 2 Peter 3, about the second coming of Christ. But I want to look at another renowned chapter with you tonight, and that is 1 Corinthians 15, about the resurrection. And as renowned as this chapter is, and as much preaching as I've heard from it over the years, right in the middle of this chapter are four verses that are hardly ever mentioned, if at all, stuck right in the middle of this very renowned chapter. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, Paul says, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? He says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. And if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage of me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, I trust that you too probably have not heard too much preaching on those particular verses. You hear a lot on the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, a lot on the end, and just kind of pass over the middle there. When we look at this, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, I've got a few commentaries at home, so I went to look up what people say, what these verses might mean. There were some that would say this being baptized for the dead, they're talking about in Numbers chapter 19 where they had the uh, red heifer, that they took the ashes of the red heifer, then they sprinkled it on someone that had touched a dead person to make them clean. And so they're running it that this is what they're talking about, being baptized for the dead because someone... But that wouldn't be baptized for the dead, that'd be baptized because of the dead, because you touch one. So that doesn't fit there. Then there's some think that there's this idea that if you had a relative and that relative died but was never baptized, and you're pretty uncertain where that person might be at the time, that you could be baptized for them and then that would give them an opportunity of going to heaven. Well, that's got plenty holes in that kind of thinking. First of all, even if you could be baptized for them, baptism by water is not to put away the filth of the flesh. You haven't done him any good that is already dead because you had not put away any filth of the flesh by being baptized in water. And then there's one that's, usually the most common one of being baptized for the dead is simply that when we go into water baptism we are being baptized for the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that our belief in his death, burial, and resurrection is our salvation and we're being baptized for him or being baptized for the dead. And that is what we believe that we believe our baptism is our is our uh, commitment to the fact that we believe that the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is our salvation. But here's the problem. That doesn't fit the rest of the verses. Cause the next verse says, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Now I remember when I was baptized, I was 14 years old when I joined the church. And that was a happy day for me. And I f- didn't feel like I was in any kind of jeopardy. There was no one after me or any uh, uh, thing of uh, uh, hindrance around me that I knew of. What is Paul saying after he says those that are baptized for the dead? And then why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Now I could try to tell you what I believe the verse is saying, but I'm going to try to tell you let the Lord Jesus explain it to us. Let's go to Luke chapter 12, verse 50. Let's do the words of Jesus here. He says, And I have a baptism to be baptized with, and I am straightened until it be accomplished. Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Well, that can't be water baptized, uh, being water baptized, because he was baptized by water back in chapter 3. He is not talking about his water baptism then, because that's already there, but he's talking about a baptism that I'm facing. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and I am straightened, or that word means pained. I'm suffering till it be accomplished. Now, what baptism? is Jesus talking about here? Well, we go to Matthew chapter 20. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, you find where the mother of Zebedee's children, James and John was their children, she comes to Jesus and she's got a request for Jesus. And he says, say on, what's your request? He says that my two sons may sit one on the right hand and one on the left in thy kingdom. And Jesus says, you know not what you ask. He says, but can you drink of the cup that I drink of, and can you be baptized with the baptism that I not was, but I am baptized with? And I think in their mind, I said, well, we drink of the cup when we take communion. We've took, had communion with him. Yes, I can drink of that cup, and I, I was baptized in water. And so they said, yes, we can. And he said, "Ye shall drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to give them, uh, give uh, right hand and left on uh, of a seed in heaven, he says, that is not mine to give. Now, what is he saying here? Can you drink of my cup? And be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Now, he's just repeating when he says, You can drink of my cup and drink and, and be baptized with my baptism. They're the same thing. That's just two ways of saying the same thing. Can you drink of my cup and be baptized with my baptism? Now, what cup is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the cup that he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed to God, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What cup is he talking about? He's talking about the cup of afflictions and persecutions and trials and tribulations that he will suffer and it will lead up and to his death. Jesus had to suffer many things to bring him to the point that he came in this world to die and he suffered to that death. He said, now can you drink of my cup? Can you suffer for me if it means bringing your death? Now can you drink of that cup? Now go back to 1 Corinthians 15, 29 else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? Or in my words, else what shall they do which shall suffer for the name of Christ that will bring them unto their death? What shall they do? Shall people do this if the dead rise not? Would people suffer for Christ in that manner if there was no resurrection from the dead? I think not. I think not. The Apostle Paul wrote this and I want to show you just how the Apostle Paul suffered for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've made this statement many times and I'll continue to make it. That I believe that the Apostle Paul suffered more for the Lord Jesus Christ other than Jesus Christ himself for the cause of Christ. Now, there's people suffered, but Paul suffered for the cause of Christ. Let's just go through the scriptures. And the thing about these verses that we're talking about tonight, the reason they're kind of hard for us to understand is because in our life and in my lifetime and in most of the lifetime I've seen We haven't seen people suffer like the people of this Bible did. We cannot relate to it. What it is to put your life on the line just to go to church, just to meet in his name. They were beaten, they were killed. I go, you're in 1 Corinthians 15, turn over page to 2 Corinthians. And Paul says this in verse 10, he says, Who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and in whom we trust will yet deliver us. Now, there's a spiritual application that fits those verses very well. And I use it from time to time. Who hath delivered, well, Christ hath delivered us. He did that on the cross. And doth deliver when he borns us again and gives us eternal life and whom we trust will yet deliver us. And when he comes back, that will be a deliverance of salvation. The last verse of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. For Christ was once off to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. His coming back for us is going to be a salvation. He will doth and yet deliver us. Now, you can run it spiritually, but the Apostle Paul right now is taking this very literally. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. You know, the Apostle Paul, the first time he preached in Acts chapter 9, he had a man there ready to kill him as soon as he preached. They had to let him out of the building in a basket. And I've thought about this many times. What if that'd been me? My first sermon. Somebody wanted to kill me and they had to let me out of the building in a basket. Well, if that'd been my first sermon, I seriously doubt that'd been sermon number two. That'd have probably wrapped it up for me. Is this what this gonna be about? Uh I don't think I'm ready for this. That would have probably just ended it if I didn't have the grace of God like Paul did. You go to Acts chapter 23 and read verses 12 and 13. And there you find these Jews, and it was said there was above 40 of them, that they made a pact together that they would neither eat nor drink until Paul was dead. I mean, they had a hit out on him. It was over 40 men that had a pack that they would not eat or drink again until Paul was dead. Let's go through the scriptures and see just some of the sufferings that Paul dealt with. I'm in 2 Corinthians here 1. I turned over and listened to his words in chapter 4. Paul says in verse 8, we are troubled on every side. Can you imagine that? You're in a place and any way you look, there's somebody there to get you or wanting to get you. We are troubled on every side. But Paul says, but not distressed. He said, we're perplexed. We're puzzled. We can't understand it. We're perplexed. He said, but not in despair. We're persecuted. He says, but not forsaken. Cast down, we just sung it, but not destroyed. Now listen to the very next verse. Because he's fixing to say in one ver- the next verse what we just read in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 29 always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ you know what he's saying there that I live a life that I live to die for Christ if that's his will I will die for Christ I'm always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ Paul will say later I die daily I die every day. I mean, I have so many people after me, I die daily. But in Paul's case, he would welcome that. He would welcome that. Because he knows that death, he goes home to be with Christ. But for you, it's needful for me to stay. And he has such a conviction to live for the Lord and die for the Lord that he was not even distressed over the things that were about him. He was not even worried about the things because he knew that he would live as long as the Lord had something for him to do, and when that was over, he would die. And I'll just quit worrying about it. I'm going to do the Lord's work, and when he gets through with me, I'll go home to be with him. I die daily. You're in chapter 4 there. Turn over to chapter 11 and listen to Paul's words about what he had suffered for Christ. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-four, 24, Paul says, Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Five times. He was beaten with 39 stripes. That's 195 stripes he received. Can you imagine what his back must have looked like? 195 stripes across him. He says, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. You go to Acts 14 19 and read about that stoning. They threw rocks at him until they were convinced he was dead. That's the reason they quit, because they thought he was dead. He was with an inch of his life. And it just keeps on and on with these things. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day. I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in the perils of waters often, in the perils of the robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in the perils of the heathen, in the perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in the perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He gives a list of things that he suffered for Christ, and when I read them, I can't see one that I ever suffered, not like he did, not just one of those, much less the whole list. I've never suffered one of those things. That's why it's hard to understand those verses in the life that we live now, because we've been so blessed to worship freely and without persecution. Now, As I've tried to explain the verses, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians and look at the chapter of the whole. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is addressing two things that he's facing here from scoffers, from skeptics. There's two things that he addresses in this chapter. In verse 12 he says, Now Christ be preached. That he rose from the dead. How say some among you. There is no resurrection of the dead. Now that's the first thing he's going to look at. And I want you to notice the various ways. And arguments Paul takes. To convince people that there is a resurrection from the dead. Now if you got your Bible. Go back to verse 1. The beginning of the chapter of 1 Corinthians, and listen to his argument that he produces here to be convinced people that there is a resurrection from the dead. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all That which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now here's the first argument he makes. And to me, it's the first one that should always be there, and it's this. If you've got someone to discuss, and you want to discuss any point such as a resurrection or anything else, you must first have this common ground that you believe the scriptures are the holy word of God and that they are true to every word jot and tittle. Now, if you don't believe the holy writ of this is God's word and that it's true, then we don't have nothing to talk about. I don't have nowhere to start because I'm going to start here, but you have done taking that away because you don't even believe the scriptures. Well, we, we don't have nothing to talk about. His first proof is the scriptures say that Jesus died and rose again the third day, and he repeats it according to the scriptures. That's my first proof. The scriptures say that Jesus died and rose again. But you're out there saying there is no resurrection. Proof number two. And after that, he was seen of Cephas, then of the 12, then of above 500, then James, then the apostles, then me. you he ain't? there's no resurrection. Well, look how many people have seen him since he rose. How many does it take to see him before you're convinced at least he rose from the dead. At least he rose from the dead. Because I've got over 500 that I said. It's not just one or two. There's over 500 witnesses to the fact that he rose from the dead. All right? Proof number three. Have you thought about what you've got to reconcile yourself to If there is no resurrection, here's what you're going to have to reconcile yourself to. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ be not raised, he says, then our preaching is vain. What I'm doing up here is just vanity. Because I base it on the fact. All my preaching is based on the fact that Jesus died and rose again. Our preaching is vain. And your faith is vain. Because your faith is based on the fact that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. And next... We're a bunch of liars. We're a bunch of false witnesses. Because, see, we testified that he rose from the dead. And we'd be false witnesses if there's no resurrection. We're false witnesses because we say he did. Then he keeps going. And if Christ, and if the dead rise not, then it's not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Now, how anybody would want to deny the resurrection, they're just admitting they're still in their sins. The sins still in their sins. And oh, yeah, anybody that you used to know that is dead... They're perished. If there's no resurrection, then they're not in heaven with God. How can anyone not believe in the resurrection? But he says, How say some among you? There is no resurrection. Then he comes to the proof that I just tried to explain to you. And take this proof. There are people out there that are suffering, some even unto their own death, for Jesus Christ. Now, what would make a man do that if there wasn't a resurrection? And what would make a man do that if there wasn't a God that convinced them there was a resurrection so much that they're willing to die for it? They're out there, they're dying, they're suffering. Isn't that proof that there must be a God? Because man by nature wouldn't do that. Here's what man by nature would do. You keep reading. He said, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know that expression's in the scriptures a lot, let us eat and drink. And several places in the Bible says, let us eat and drink and be merry. But it doesn't say be merry here, because if you don't believe in the resurrection, there ain't nothing to be merry about. He just says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now you would think, that ought to wrap that case up. That ought to wrap that case up, and that should have convinced that guy five different ways to start believing in the resurrection. But look what he does next. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? They he's saying that in a skeptic way. How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And Paul's reply unto that person, "Thy fool. You know he just did something that the Lord says not do? Call someone a fool? Paul says "Thy fool. You go to Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, oh, You've heard it said of all time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever kills is in danger of the judgment. But I see unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to thy brother, Rakah, which means worthless. In South Mississippi, we call it no count. We just call them no count. They're worthless is in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say thy fool is in danger of hellfire. But the thing we need to consider that in the Bible, the word fool is not how we use it sometimes. We call a person a fool. We say, oh, you old fool, means you're just kind of careless, haphazardous, But in the Bible, calling somebody a fool is calling him an unregenerate. How do I know that? Because you go to Psalms chapter 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Now, that is not something a child of God born again can do. You can say it with your lips. But you cannot say with your heart there is no God because if you've been born again, you know there is one. You know well there is one. Why is Paul saying, thy fool? Because as many ways as I've tried to show you that there is a resurrection, you're still questioning. The only person that would question that is an unregenerate. He says, "Die fool! that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. Now look at the analogy that Paul gives us on with what body will they come? He said, that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body which shall be. But bare grain or it may chance of wheat or some other grain. Here's what he said. Next time you want to learn something about the resurrection and what body you come, you just drive down the road and look at some cornfield, or some wheat field or something that God's got out there growing. And he is just giving you thousands of examples of the resurrection. Here's the picture. You took a seed and you put that seed in the ground. Me and my dad got on a conversation about that seed one time. He says, you said that seed dies. He said, it just germinates. I said, well, dad, I don't know anything about germination. I'm no farmer, but I know what Jesus said in John chapter 12. Except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus says that seed dies. Now I'm going to take his word for it. You can stay with your germination, but I believe that seed dies. Well, if it dies, it's got to have life to come forth. That's a picture of the resurrection. The seed falls in the ground, it dies, and then the Lord gives it life, and it comes forth. But it doesn't come forth as a seed. It comes forth with a body of corn or wheat or whatever the Lord gives it. And that's the way it's going to be for us during the resurrection. We will die, we will go on the ground, but the Lord will give us life, and we will come out chains. It will still be that seed, but chains. into whatever body the Lord giveth it. Now, on the resurrection, I often thought about this point. You know that most people, if not all people in this world, don't like what they look like. We go to great pains to change it. If we like what we look like, the cosmetic companies would be out of business. Those that make curlers and dyes and all that would be out of business. If we like what we look like, but I'm going to tell you a time you're going to like what you look like, and that's when Jesus raised you from the dead. David says, when I rise in his likeness, I shall be satisfied. Because we're going to like what we look like. And you know what we're going to look like? We're going to look like Jesus. As we have borne image of the earthy, so shall we bear image of the heavenly. Now, I don't guess anybody in here, maybe a, a one or two, that ever knew my mother. But if you ever knew my mother, you know that I bear image of the earthy. I mean, I look like my mama. And my sister looked like my daddy. But I look just like my mama. I bore the image of the earthy. And I was so much like her, I can't wait till I bear image of the heavenly. (laughs) They're going to know you're Jesus because you're going to look like him. You're going to be raised in his likeness. What a day that will be. Apostle Paul says, this body was sown in dishonor, but we were raised in glory. It was sown in weakness, but was raised in power. It was sown a natural body, but shall be raised a spirit, not a spirit, but a spiritual body. We will have a spiritual body. It will be this body, but it will be one glorified. We will have a spiritual body and the image of Christ upon us. How anybody could question the resurrection? Well, they have to be a fool. They you just have to be one that's not born again. And here's the thing about a fool. If a person is not born again, I can preach it to death. Brother Ronald can preach it to death and any other man can preach it to death. If they're not born again, they'll never believe it. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to believe God's word and the men that preach it. And how people think they can go out in this world today and preach to unregenerates, thinking that they can change their mind Apostle Paul didn't want to go around them. He said, let us be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. He didn't have nothing for them. If they're not born again, I don't have anything for them. But those that are born again. Now I'm going to close back in verse 31. Look at his final proof. He says, I protest by your rejoicing. Now look what Paul's saying here. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm suffering to preach the gospel. But I protest those that say there is no resurrection by your rejoicing. What is your rejoicing? Prove. Here are people that are also tried and they also persecuted, but they rejoice over the fact that there is a resurrection and they have the sweet hope of seeing it and feeling it. I protest by your rejoicing. I die daily. And then after all the sufferings that he mentioned, at the hand of man, he goes to this one. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, he said, "I fought with beasts at Ephesus." You know what that picture comes in my mind when I read that? That's the Christians being cast to the lions. Paul said, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. And what advantage me if the dead rise not? There's no advantage. But Paul had the sweet hope, and I believe you have the sweet hope, and I have the sweet hope that there is a resurrection. And that is something to rejoice in, believe in, have faith in and walk bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ. If the Lord puts that on me, I'll be glad to carry it. By his grace and his spirit, I'll bear about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saying it like this. Lord, if you're willing to die for me, I'm willing to die for you. God bless you. Thank you.